Welcome to the Doing Epic Stuff podcast with your host, Mike Drohan. Together, we'll explore the stories and journeys of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. All the self-help books will tell you to be present, be in the moment, but they won't tell you how to do it. That's a quote from Dr. Don Wood, who's the CEO at Inspired Performance Institute based in Orlando, Florida. A former elite level ice hockey player, Dr. Don developed the Inspired Performance Program, or TIPP, a neuroscience-based method which, in essence, provides the individual with the knowledge and tools to resolve or clear their unresolved trauma, and in doing so, empowers people to perform at their absolute peak. Think being coached to set world records or to become a titan of industry. Frustrated by modern medicine's inability to provide respite to both his wife and daughter, who were experiencing autoimmune disorders, Dr. Don initially embarked on a quest to find a solution which modern medicine didn't actually believe existed. The common element which both his wife and daughter shared being past emotional trauma. This became the focal point of his subsequent studies and practices and ultimately led to the point where both his loved ones were effectively cured. A simple method that can be taught to just about anyone and when learned can be self-applied to trauma of any nature in the future, whoa. The idea of being present or in flow explored throughout this episode feels kind of like the Venn diagram intersect between what Dr. Don's method can provide to the individual and what people who are already doing their epic stuff seem to know, whether consciously or not, which is that it's only when we're 100% in the moment that we have access to our full potential. Perhaps Dr. Don sums it up best. You can't think and hit a baseball. It's impossible. Dr. Don, thank you so much for joining me on the Doing Epic Stuff podcast, uh, all the way over from Orlando, which is excellent. We were just riffing on how great it is that we can have these conversations on the other side of the world. Uh, but yeah, I do appreciate your time. You're a busy man. So thank you for joining us. Well, thanks, Mike. I, I appreciate the opportunity to come in and talk with your audience as well. So, and it's so cool. You know, you live in Melbourne, we live in Orlando, two pretty good places to live. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're both fortunate to have that kind of an environment. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I sort of perceive Australia as a bit of a bubble and you know, we've been very lucky with in a lot of regards for a very long time. It's a great place to live. We've got good health services and all that sort of stuff. And with this whole COVID thing going on, I think we've weathered the storm quite well. We've been kind of lucky that we're so remote from everything. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we always, I think Australians are pretty appreciative of what we've got in that regard. So, yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. Um, and, and just, the, I was thinking more of the weather. I know that COVID has been a little different there. We, in Florida, everything's wide open. I mean, mm. restaurants, everything are just wide open, have been for quite a while. Yeah, so we okay. have not experienced what a lot of places around the world, even around the United States are experiencing where they're just in complete lockdown. Wow. So Orlando is the, is really is a bubble in that regard. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, all of Florida, I mean, it's mm. really amazing. So we're not having that problem. People are wearing masks and they're being respectful. You know, if they come into a restaurant, they wear their mask, but when they sit at their table, they don't. Um, mm -hmm. but you can even have trouble getting reservations at restaurants. They're packed. 
movie right. theaters are opened up again. Everything's just sort of back at, you know, if you dropped in and had no idea what was going on, you'd have a hard time knowing there was the, the pandemic in this state anyway. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. And then great to, the, to hear that you're living somewhere that's like safe and everyone's good. That's, uh, yeah, that's excellent news. I hope yeah. it continues on a really good trajectory. I know other parts of the world are really struggling. So yeah, I'm going I'm to actually pick your brain a little bit more sure. on COVID specifically, because I'm interested to kind of think about, you know, the potential collective conscious emotional concussion we might be suffering from that one but i won't go there yet because i'm I'm gonna drop that on you in a bit um so tell me dr don you've you've uh had a pretty extensive career in ice hockey playing at the professional level that's that's correct when i was much younger but yeah i had an opportunity to play over in europe so i played at a fairly high level originally from canada and as you know canadians right and hockey are just you know hand in hand you know, we started playing hockey when we could basically walk and and that's sort of a big thing for us. So, you know, hockey's such a great sport. I just loved playing it. And then, um, you know, obviously you, you can't play forever. That was a great way to try to break into the NHL. Um, you know, and, and hockey, I just look at sports is that taught me so much about life as well. So I learned so many life lessons as well as just, you know, the athletic stuff. Mm. I'm absolutely in the same boat as you. And we'll talk a little bit more on that specifically in, in a few moments. I'll come back to that because I look, I think for me personally, it's been sport and the pursuit of different sports have been, I can, I can almost draw a direct line to the significant periods of growth in my personal and professional lives to, to, to things that I've done outside of the boardroom, you know? So exactly. I, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, so tell me how you kind of went from uh, a passionate young man playing a sport that they love, which is high impact, adrenaline filled, rough and tumble, to becoming this specialist or expert who is at the cutting edge of using neuroscience to help people perform at, at the highest level in sport. How did that kind of transition happen? It, w- it was really interesting because I had this very idyllic childhood, no trauma. I mean, I played hockey, right? But that hockey was not like the kind of traumas that a lot of my friends were experiencing, you know, with emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. So because I played hockey, I could fight. So I wasn't going to get bullied. And I had, there was no sexual abuse. I was not a good target for that. And so I didn't realize how many of my friends were actually experiencing that. And then when I met my wife, I realized she was living in a very traumatic household. Um, and so it was th- from that and also my daughter experienced some abuse when she was younger that we weren't aware of until she was 16. I saw the effects that this trauma was having on them. So it obviously wasn't having it on me, but it was having it on them. And obviously I love my wife and my daughter. So I started to look for answers and went back and started researching, went back up my PhD and said, I always came from an entrepreneurial mind and said, let me figure out how to fix this. So I didn't go into it with the expectation of learning how to deal with typical mental health stuff. I was going into it saying, I need to learn what they do, but I really think we need to develop something new. And um, and that's when I started to realize that where a lot of people are taught to live and manage and cope with trauma, what I said is what we need to do is we need to eliminate it. Because the effects of trauma 
are creating inflammation in the body, which is then affecting your neurotransmitters and your immune system. So if people's immune system gets affected, their health is going to deteriorate. And if their neurotransmitters are compromised, they're going to feel bad. So you take that combination, you're going to have mental health issues and you're going to have uh, physical health issues. And that's what both my wife and daughter were experiencing. My daughter developed Crohn's. My wife had Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid disorder, which is because cortisol was constantly being produced. And so both are autoimmune. So a lot of people who have experienced trauma, in particular as children, have a lot of autoimmune issues. So that was essentially you in your life, you had an immediate uh, need to, to, to add sort of to try and resolve something that was in your very household that was having a major effect on your life and your loved ones lives. And your way of tackling that was, I know what I'll do. I'll just learn everything I can possibly about this topic and then try and eradicate it from my family's lives. Exactly. And so what I realized is my wife was high functioning. So she didn't get into drugs or alcohol or anything like that, but she was just living in fear. My daughter's health became very serious where they basically did four resections on her, where they cut out pieces of her intestines and sutured them back up because they were literally dying. And they told us that there was nothing you could do about it, that Crohn's is incurable and that she would eventually end up with a colostomy bag. And so that was really what spurred, you know, my wife to say to me that we need to come up with some answers. And so that's when I really started to do the research and made the connection between trauma and autoimmune issues. And so that was really what sparked the whole thing. Gotcha. Look, it's amazing to me, uh, Dr. Don, how frequently I'm hearing these stories of people who are going through major physical manifestations of what end up being issues that resolve that have existed in the mind and manifesting physically. And I guess the, the, uh, my immediate question to that is, I I guess we were in like a bit of a pandemic of them in the moment in terms of gut issues. I hear every second person has got like, Oh, I think I'm gluten sensitive or I've developed this thing later in life where I've become really sensitive to X, Y, Z. Are those things, I guess what I'm trying to understand is how much of those do you think are uh, nature or the things that we're eating? Or do you think there's a pretty significant chance that a lot of these things that are happening in modern society, including things like anxiety anxiety and things like that, but are manifesting physically with gut issues, et cetera, do you think they are potentially the source of those could be trauma as opposed to just the things we're eating? I think the majority are trauma. That's my personal opinion that a lot of people that I see have had trauma and they're dealing with a lot of those gut issues or dealing with health issues. So that's very, very common. Then you add in the change in the diet that we've had in the last 30 years and our systems have not really adjusted well to that. And so I think that's a combination. And so now here's where it compounds. If you have unresolved trauma, the mind is in this constant state of fight or flight. So it's not staying present. And in the moment, it's dealing with a whole bunch of issues from years earlier. And so what is that going to do? 
that's going to compromise our maintenance. So instead of your mind working on maintenance, it wants to be a getaway or escape from the lions is chasing mm-hmm. it. And so as long as it's in that fight or flight state, it doesn't want to do maintenance because maintenance isn't the main priority. Survival is the main priority. And so if you've got a health issue or you've got a gut issue, maybe with allergies or sensitivities, that may be coming from the fact that your immune system is compromised because you're in a constant state of fight or flight. Mm. I've been healthy all my life. And even when I played hockey, I had six concussions and 60 stitches in my head. And I never missed a hockey game. And they couldn't, they just basically said, well, you just seem to heal really fast. I believe the reason I healed fast is because my nervous system was constantly regulated as a child. So my system could get maintenance done where a lot of my, so if I'm getting, you know, I get an injury and I start healing in two or three days, my teammates are healing in two or three weeks because their system is doing fairly low maintenance. Mine's on basically hyperdrive and it can do a lot more work. So going back to, to the story of your family, what was, what was the end results of you? Obviously you went and leveled up in numerous ways. You got extensive credentials in the education uh, sorry, education credentials. And then you started to apply things on your family. What was, what was the results from that? How, how are they now? And what was the full circle there? Well, the, the, I'll talk about my wife first. So my wife lived with fear all the time. And so if I said something simple, like, no, I don't like that, she could tear up and start to cry. And because she was so sensitive, her mind was feeling fear all the time. If she just sensed or perceived that I was a little bit upset, that would activate her nervous system that she was in danger. So she was living with that. Um, and at the same time, she swore me to secrecy that I could never tell anybody about what happened to her as a child because that fear of what will people think of me? What will they think of my family? And that was all coming from fear. She had terror nightmares throughout our marriage and not every day, but she would have one or two terror nightmares a month. Sometimes they'd come together, um, but that was a fairly frequent thing. I met people who have them every night. And so my wife was a couple times, maybe two or three times a month where I'd have to wake her up. The good news is ever since going through this program, she hasn't had any terror nightmares. They're completely gone. Mm. She's living in peace. And she'd be the first one to sit down and tell you all about her childhood now. All that shame and regret and fear is gone. And so that's pretty incredible because that's who she always was, but she just had trouble being that centered and present. My daughter, who had years of Crohn's and four operations, hasn't had a Crohn's flare-up since going through the program. Wow. Okay. Amazing. A doctor basically told us it's impossible. You can't cure Crohn's. And I said, we're not curing Crohn's. I believe that the reason she had Crohn's is because Crohn's is inflammation and inflammation is a result of trauma. So if the, we resolve the trauma, doesn't it make sense that the inflammation would come out of that cell danger response because there's no more danger. And mm-hmm. so then it goes back online. So then the immune system and neurotransmitters start coming back online that doesn't make sense based on the way they currently treat it. But I think a lot of the autoimmune issues are coming from the fact that we have inflammation and very low maintenance schedules. Got it. 
It's really interesting. So you can almost, as you said, put your systems offline with enough stress. It can just shut things down and then we get these negative manifestations. But as you've seen through your practice, there's a way to kind of turn these systems back online so that you're all the good stuff, your autoimmune, everything's firing again. And theoretically, and I guess practically, because you've seen the example, not just in your family's life, but you've now applied this in a professional context across all sorts of different sporting and, and other contexts as well, that there's massive positive elements to doing that. And aside from just feeling okay, it can also do things like make you achieve at the highest level in sport. Could you maybe talk about how, how kind of trauma and reach and reaching and maintaining the elite levels of your performance in sport? What's the link there? How does that work? Um, and you're an athlete, so you'll get this is make some sense to you is that you know what the zone is, right? People talk about, I got into the zone. Yeah. Like flow, that sort of thing. Flow. Yep. Mm -hmm. And what that really is, is getting into an alpha brainwave state. And alpha is where you're super relaxed, but super focused. So your mind is lasered in on what you're doing. So when you're able, and I teach people to be able to do that, the reason they have trouble doing that is because if they have a lot of unresolved trauma, their mind doesn't want to stay that focused. It's bringing in too much data that it's trying to get something done about. And there's no need to be doing anything. We need to be focusing on what we're doing now. And so what happens is the, the cell, if it's in that cell danger response, the ATP in the energy within that cell is also compromised. So if that energy is not being released and then we get the trauma resolved and now the inflammation goes down and the energy is released, I'll give you a great example. I worked with Marco Cicetto. When Marco was a double amputee, he lost both his legs to frostbite from a suicide attempt, and, but he was a marathon runner. And so anyway, he learned how to walk again with prosthetics, and then he wanted to run again, so they built him special blades to run. And they really believed that he's a potential Olympic hopeful, and so, but he had plateaued in his training. So they came to me and they said, we really think it's mental now, it's not physical. Would you work with him? So I worked with Marco, and nine days later, after he went through our program, he ran in his first race and he took 15 seconds per mile off his time, which is huge at that level. And then right. the next race he ran in was the Boston Marathon in 2019, and he broke the world record. So he's now the world record holder. And then he broke his own world record in the next race in the Chicago Marathon by another five minutes and got signed by Nike. So I don't take any credit for that except all I did was calmed his nervous system down, allowing more of that energy to become available for him to run. Mm -hmm. And so the way he explained it, I love the way he explained it, is he said, when I used to run, I knew when I hit the 20 mile mark is when I would hit my peak. And then I would have to really struggle. So while he's running, he's thinking about, okay, I've got 10 miles to go. I've got five miles to go. He wasn't staying present. He said, what I found happened naturally is when I was running, I started seeing I'm at the five mile mark. I'm at the 10 mile mark, as opposed to what he hasn't done yet. That allowed him to stay present. That allowed him to stay focused. And that's when you're going to perform at your highest level. Very calm, very um, focused. So that's the ideal state. That's that zone, that flow state. 
if you don't naturally do that because of this trauma, right, we can then first clear the trauma and then I give you tools to practice to get into that flow state. So I, I worked with a number of athletes and what they, I worked with a golfer who told me, he says, I've never been so calm playing golf. He says, it's such a nice feeling to be out on a golf course without stress because he stays in the moment on each shot. Right. So and not, only, not only do you play better, but you enjoy it more. Absolutely. And not only it, it translates not only into their, um, you know, athletic life, but there's one particular golfer that I worked with. He came to see me and on a, it was on a Wednesday, he was flying out to Phoenix to, in a, for the first tournament and he won the tournament. And then he won the first two out of three tournaments he played in. And I, I met his wife because I'd never met her before. And I, and he introduced me to his wife and she came up to me and she gives me this big hug. And she says, I want to thank you for what you did, you know, for Tim. And I said, I know it was great. I've been watching him. He's playing fantastic. She says, not just about the golf. She says, when we came back from that tournament, she says, we had two plane delays. She says, now normally he's pacing, getting angry and frustrated, right, about the delays. And she says, and I see him sitting there playing with our son, you know, and then just, you know, texting on his phone, no stress at all. She goes, that was the best thing you did for my husband. I love the fact that he won, but that was the calming effect that just changed his life. That's amazing. It's uh, that, that ability to be present at any given moment is, is kind of, I feel like that's the key to happiness for a lot of people in so many different contexts is even if it's like you're in a business meeting and rather than checking your phone, you're actually listening to the person who's talking to you. Some people find that almost impossible. The, the habit's so ingrained and I'm not sure where it comes from, whether it's trauma or whatever, but yeah, I guess kind of getting to that place where we're, where we're truly in the moment is for some, yeah, for I find for like I've something I've worked on for many years, being conscious that I was a very distracted person many years back. I kind of progressively worked on that, doing things like meditation and turning off the alerts on the phone and all that sort of stuff, which which has helped things. But I could see that if there was a sort of a more major block and if it was trauma based, how probably all the little hacks and tools and tricks you try to give yourself to get present in a given moment might not be enough unless you actually clear whatever that that underlying issue is so i guess just begs the question dr don how do we work out if we've got an issue like what are the, what are the telltale signs and what do we do do about it? it it's really but you you nailed it but that was exactly it so until we clear and update the brain it will continue to filter through those events which will dysregulate your nervous system now you may not even be consciously aware of it but it's actually happening for you. Right. So, so once we get that taken care of, then you can perform at a higher level. And so the, the, the key basically is all the self-help books will tell you to be present, be in the moment. Yeah. But they don't tell you how to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. It's like, this is what you need. We're not really sure how to get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love the, I don't know if you know Lou Holtz. Have you ever heard of Lou Holtz? Yeah, yeah. Lou yeah. Holtz. I love what he said. You, one of the things you just mentioned there. He says, I never learned anything when I was speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I love that statement, which is true. Beautiful. Just what you said, right? So if yeah. you're not listening to people, so if it's in a business setting, a lot of times if you're not listening, you're not learning. 
And, and if our minds are constantly racing, right, because it's not feeling safe, it's very difficult to focus on what people are telling us. And you could miss a lot of vital information that you need, right, in order to close that deal, or even if it's your own staff member. So they may be needing something at that point, but if you cannot relate to them and not get your nervous system in regulation, you're not serving them, you know, because you're just not in an ability to do it at that point. That's a question, Dr. Don. So I can see, it, it strikes me that there's a bit of a parallel here. My, my, one of my real interests and passions, and it's something that I've learned through many years in the, in the business environment and stressful business environments, is for people taking hold of their workflow, right? Being able to get their to-do list out of their minds and the 50 different places it lives, putting it in one place, having a process to clear it, which they stick by, developing those habits. And in doing that, achieving this real sense of well-being and kind of presence of mind because of that, because they take all this crap out of their brains that's there every day and topping up and they put it into a system which they maintain and they take control of all this stuff going on. It kind of occurs to me that when you're in that stage before you've taken control of your time or your, let's call it sort of time mastery, I'm kind of calling it, or your to-do list, that you're probably creating for yourself your own little uh, trauma in a way. It could be slightly traumatizing to you to think I'm at, I'm doing X, but I should be doing Y and there's 20 other things I should be doing. So yep. is that kind of, what would you, would you kind of perceive that as a trauma of itself in a way? Yeah. And that's what I call the emotional concussions, right. right? So they may not be a big T trauma, but you're creating a series of emotional concussions, which then will lead to beliefs. I'm not smart enough, right? I'm not fast enough. I procrastinate. I, all these different things that sort of come from that. And then we start attaching these labels to ourselves, which become beliefs, which then builds habits and behaviors. And so then that becomes very dangerous. So just what you're talking about. So the idea is to be able to keep the mind present and focused on what you're doing. Because you can't, you know, I know people think they can multitask, right? But we have limitations on what we can do. Our subconscious mind can, but our conscious mind cannot. And so here's a great example. I, I work with a professional baseball player who really needed to have a good year because he was sort of on that edge of tremendous potential, but would the, the team keep him if he didn't start living up to that potential? You know, they got a fairly short memory in major league sports. Mm. And so one of the things that they were doing to try to help him is they were trying to say, okay, we're going to give you a whole bunch of data, right? We want you to know that every team you play, how they will position against you, what the pitcher's going to throw, you know, on certain counts, if he's got a two ball, one strike count, 68% of the time, he's going to throw a fastball, a curveball, a slider. So they're pumping his brain full of this data. And so his agent, who asked me if I would work with him, he says, what do you think of that idea? I said, it's terrible. I said, you can't think and hit a baseball. Mm. It's impossible. Mm. I said, he's a hitting machine. He has built up thousands and thousands of codes in his brain from experience so yeah. that his brain can actually recognize that pitch. I've seen that pitch 1,862 times, right? And in those situations, the ball generally ends up here. Mm. If he starts adding in 
that he's taking up time that his mind needs to process that code. Got Does that it. make sense? That's really interesting. So they're, for them attempting to give him all the possible uh, outcomes that could be happening at that moment, you're kind of causing this paralysis through overanalysis in the brain. Whereas what his brain has trained itself to do is from the second that, that pitches toe twitches, it's already calculating what pitch is coming and probably knows infinitesimally quicker than us trying to theorize it through logic, right? Is that kind so of- So in 400 millionths of a second, your subconscious mind processes the information before you're even consciously aware of it. Mm. So all the data is gonna be coming from the conscious mind. But in the 400 millionths of a second, the subconscious mind has already been responding. If you add in this conscious thought, you may slow down the reaction time. All right, Don, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you because I've got you here and you're a super okay. expert at this. So one of my passions is Muay Thai, the, the combat sport, right? Uh -huh. The art of eight limbs. You're familiar with Muay Thai? Yep. yep. Uh -huh. So a big part of that sport is sparring, right? Every time you go to the gym, you fight. Uh, yep. So... I've found that on any given day, they can, there's so much to learn about any of these sports. Boxing's the same, right? There's, 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 there's so much information to learn about that sport. But on any, any given day, I can get in the gym and have a, a wildly different sparring experience depending on my state of mind. And I find if I try to think too much about things or if I try to learn too much and put it into practice in sparring, that it can sort of paralyze me and it takes me out of the flow state right? Whereas the best sparring I do is totally focused, totally involved and just reactive. So given that, is there kind of like a, a, a shortcut or a, or a tip that I should probably take on board before I go and turn up and do sparring or before I do Muay Thai to kind of get into that presence of mind that's like flow state conducive, should I say? Or is it things that I shouldn't do, like start looking up the latest techniques before I go to, to train? Yeah. So that's actually what our whole program does is I give you the tools to calm your whole nervous system down. Mm -hmm. And this is what I always say. If you were out on the street and there were two guys that wanted to fight you, one guy is screaming and yelling and totally, you know, like scary screaming and yelling. And the other guy's just standing there in a pose ready to fight. Who do you want to fight? <laughs> you want to fight the crazy out of control guy because he's predictable. Mm. He's going to move in straight lines. The guy who's calculating is far more dangerous, right? The calm guy is way more dangerous than the guy who's out of control. Mm. He's scarier, right? Because you look at him and it gets scary when somebody's screaming, calling you names, jumping up and down, ready to, you know, you can see why that would intimidate people. But the most intimidating guy is the very calm guy. And it's for that same reason is because in that 400 millionths of a second, he's calculating. If he throws a whole bunch of other stuff in there, he's slowing down his ability to process. So because I was a hockey player, you know, the greatest hockey player of all time was Wayne Gretzky. So I don't know if you know Wayne Gretzky. But Absolutely. Everyone. Everyone. Everybody like, it's it's got to be a universal name greatest probably athlete in any sport ever because nobody ever dominated a sport the way Gretzky did. So even today, Gretzky has been on the league 20 years. 
he still owns 60 of the 61 records that he held. If you took away all his assists and just or took away all his goals and just left him his assists, he's still the number one goal scorer in league history. Nobody has ever dominated a sport like that. And so, but he wasn't bigger, stronger, or faster than everybody. So if you look at him in terms of his ability, you know, it wasn't like he's six foot four. He wasn't a big brute of a guy that could just dominate. Um, you know, he wasn't, he was quick, but he wasn't blinding speed. He wasn't the fastest guy in the league. What made Wayne Gretzky the greatest of all time was his ability to process information. He could see the other nine guys and calculate their speed, their angle, right? And make a decision faster than everybody else while other people were still calculating. So he was probably in that 400 millionths of a second. He had probably already calculated everything he needed in 200 millionths of a second. When the other people may have been at two and a half, three hundred millionths of a second, he's already gone. Everyone else in the rink is thinking like checkers and Wayne is playing chess. <laughs> exactly right. And so I met one of the guys who coached in the NHL and I said, you know, one of the things they said about Gretzky is that he was protected by the league. You weren't allowed to hit him. Right. And so you get a penalty if you hit him. And so this coach says, that's just not true. They can't hit him. They line him up, right? And at the last second, he just sidesteps. So you get a glancing blow, but you can't, because he's already calculated that you've just dropped your shoulder and you've got that angle. All he has to do is just that 100 millionth of a second delay and then make the move. So he was calculating so quickly. And this is what I always talk about. I, I worked with a veteran one time who got into, he got separated from his, um, his platoon. And he got into a major firefight. This is in Iraq and had to shoot his way out. And I asked him a question that nobody had ever asked him before. I says, did it feel like you were in slow motion? And he goes, yeah, it really did feel like slow motion. I says, your ability to process was so fast that it looked like everything else slowed down. So if you're playing a sport and everybody else is in slow motion. Can you imagine how much easier the sport would be? <laughs> Which Gretzky, it was so easy. Uh, it's amazing to, to think. I think the yeah, having that manifest in someone's life, like actually being able to perceive that, it just seems like a impossible. So how how does how did Wayne develop that? Is this just a case of amazing genetics? Or do you think that it was something that he trained as well as had a natural advantage? I think there was a combination of both. He probably had a natural ability for his mind to process. He lived in a home without any trauma. Hmm. He had a very loving family. So you take a few combinations like that. And then at the same time, there was another great hockey player. Uh, his name was Bobby Orr. And Bobby Orr is probably, the, I think, the second greatest hockey player compared to Gretzky. Bobby Orr changed hockey. He came along before Gretzky. But he was a defenseman that actually won the scoring championship. That had never been done before and has never been done since. Mm. But what he used to do is he used to watch the hockey on TV without the sound. He oh, didn't wow. like to listen to the announcers. So I believe what he was doing was building a whole bunch of patterns and codes in his brain. 
so he could recognize him. When he got in that situation, he knew the angles, knew the codes, and he was responding faster. Right. Without that narrative to distract him from what the total focus, his total focus was just on watching all the players and seeing where the puck goes. So just creating these constant calculations in his brain. Amazing. And he stored them. And he stored them all. I think that's what Gretzky did too. That's what baseball players do. That's what soccer players do. Have you ever read the book Blink? No. Well, no. um, that's what they talk about. That's what he talks about in the book called Blink. Is that we know what we know, but we don't know why we know it. <laughs> and so there was a, a famous tennis coach, uh, Pancho Gonzalez. And so when he was doing his work with the, uh, the book, writing the book, he sat with Pancho Gonzalez watching a tennis match. And as he sat with him in the tennis match, as the guy was tossing the ball and getting ready to serve, Pancho would say double fault. And the guy would double fault. And he'd go, how did you know he was going to double fault? He goes, I don't know. I just knew he was going to double fault. Mm-hmm. It's in a blink. It's in that 400 millionths of a second. He saw something. He didn't even know what he saw, Right. But his mind knew what it was. He's watched so many tennis matches. He played professional. So he's built up this amazing inventory, right, of, you know, thousands and thousands of situations. And his mind in 400 millions of a second can pull in all that data and make a calculation on what's going to happen. But it's not conscious. And that's why I say you can't think and, and play a sport. You can think beforehand and have a plan. Right. But once you get into the match, just let your instincts and the more you practice, the better you get, the faster you are. So would I be correct in stating, Dr. Don, your this is where your work comes in, in that because you see the, the flow state itself as the most important aspect to performance, you can coach people to get into that flow state. That's really what the name of the game here is. It's like you can't force feed 10,000 years of, of information into your brain and then use it. But what you can do is tap into your optimal state of mind to, to perform at the greatest of your capabilities. Exactly. And so we can train ourselves to do that. And why our program works so efficiently at that is I eliminate what's interfering with you being able to stay present first. We do a four-hour session to get that trauma cleared up. And that trauma could have been, you know, if you take an athlete, um, you know, I, I had one particular athlete, Rob Killian, who runs in the Spartan races. Have you ever seen the Spartan? Yeah, sure have. Yep. So um, I was speaking at the Spartan World Championships and they asked me if I would work with Rob and Rob's a special forces Green Beret, right? Phenomenal athlete. Mm-hmm. And so they asked if I would work with them. So I met with him on Friday now, there were three guys that were favored to win that race, the world championship. It was in Lake Tahoe in 2019. And so the, the person who asked me if I'd work with him said, I just want to see how much increase in performance you can have against these three guys. And so one of the things that had happened to Rob is in a race that he had run in before, he picked up one of those 50-pound sandbags. And as he was running up the mountain with it, he didn't know it had a hole in it. And so the sand was leaking out of the bag. So after the race, all over the internet, one of the runners called him a cheat and said he picked up a bag with a hole in it. All right. Now, these green, these special forces, green berets, integrity is everything to them. 
So now his integrity had been challenged. So now as he's running, what's he thinking? What are people thinking of me? I'm going to make sure I go out of my way in case anybody's watching to make it look like I'm not cheating. That's going to affect his performance. So anyway, I take him through the program on Friday. We clear up, you know, he's obviously got wartime stuff as well, but we clear up that big trauma for him as well. He wins the world championships. He's now the world champion for Spartan. He beat the next closest guy by over a minute. So I didn't make Rob a better runner. He always had that ability, right? I just freed up his ability to stay present. And that released more energy and more focus. And he just ran faster. Outstanding. I can see how at the elite level, how this is especially critical. But I could also see how, you know, in everyday life, the things kind of holding us back from wanting to be a public speaker or mm-hmm. from, uh, yeah, wanting to go for that, uh, trying to apply for that job that we thought was slightly outside of our, or we're not giving ourselves license to try to go above a certain level that we've, we've kind of decided it's where we should be. Uh, yep. that, that could need some sort of clearing there to kind of give ourselves that like, oh, you know, actually this is for me. Like I could do that and take that extra step. I, I hear all the time people say, I sabotage myself, right? Yeah. Whether that's business yep. or whatever. And what I say to them, it's impossible to sabotage yourself. Your brain is not capable of sabotage. It's survival based. So what happens is, is that if your brain believes that the path you're on is going to lead to pain, it's going to create a diversion to take you in another direction. So people will be saying, I'm on this great path, you know, and everything was going great for me. And then all of a sudden I go have an affair and I ruin my marriage and I ruin my business. What was I doing? Well, the reason they may have done that is because they may have seen, you know, somebody else in their life, whether it was a father or, you know, or a mentor who ended up losing their business. They became very successful and got shamed or whatever, whatever the reason is. It could be a thousand different reasons. Their mind's going to look at that and say, we don't want to go through that pain. Let's go over in this direction to avoid that pain. And it's amazing what the brain will do, but that's not sabotage. That's survival. Right, right. And we perceive it as, as self-sabotaging, but it's actually like we're, we're programmed to behave that way. Yes. And there's a great story that I read from a, a sniper during World War II. He was actually a German sniper. And when they were fighting against the Russians, what he said was in this article, the Russians had no weapons. He says they had hardly anything to fight with. He says, but they just had massive amounts of people. So their strategy was to just basically charge at the Germans, right? And try to overwhelm them with numbers. And so he's a sniper. His job was to be shooting them. He says, and then another wave would come and another wave would come. He says, it was endless. He says, and then I figured out a way to stop them. He says, I shot them in the stomach instead of killing them. He says, so when the next wave came and they saw all their comrades lying on the ground, screaming in pain that was a bigger deterrent. They didn't want to face that pain. Wow. That pain was worse right, than actually death. Why did people right. jump out of the buildings at 9-11? They weren't jumping to die. They were jumping because they were going to die. There, uh, the perception of being burnt alive was so great. That pain was unbearable. They'd rather jump right, than be burnt alive. Wow. That And so oh, the subconscious mind, your survival brain is in the moment all the time. 
100% of the time. So when does it want pain to stop? Now. So if they jump, when did they stop the pain? Now. Right. An instantaneous kind of escape. And it overrides your logic almost, or I suppose it could. It could just go, you know what, mate? You're, I've, I've definitely experienced this, Dr. Don, because I'm, I'm not a huge fan of heights, right? I kind of like, it's right. like my secret fear is really high heights. So one of the things I try to do periodically is go skiing to make sure I go on big ass chairlifts where I'm stuck up in the air, I'm hanging off this stupid little thing and there's nowhere to run to. And that, that's my coping mechanism because I feel like after I do that, I'm okay with heights again for a while. What I found a couple of times though, on a really high chairlift, I had this inexplicable urge to jump off the thing. And I was yeah. thinking, and I was like, what are you doing? What, this is crazy. So I actually had to wrap an arm around it and tell myself, mate, this is not happening. But my brain was telling me under no uncertain circumstances, I should just launch into the abyss. What was going on there? <laughs> because there's been an experience in your life that is connected up with heights. Mm. It may not necessarily be, it could have been just something about I'm not in control Right. Or it could have been an event where maybe you got hurt when you had no ability to run. Right. It could be all kinds of different reasons, but there's definitely an event that created that. Right. And so all you have to do is to get, I had a lady who had really bad sexual abuse as a child. Mm. And we, we only work on about three events, two or three events. And she says, well, we're going to be here all night. Cause I have a lot of these. I said, we don't need to do any more. Your mind will update everything else. She says, even though we haven't talked about it. And I says, yeah, because your mind now has the process down. It'll process all that old data that's been traumatic or disturbing. And so anyway, I ran into her a month later at a store just by chance. And she came up to me and she said, I got to tell you something. She says, there was no question I was feeling great. I went home and I talked to my husband about the abuse that I experienced as a child. I wasn't shaking and crying. So there's no question you cleared that. She said, but I'll be honest with you. I don't, I didn't believe you when you told me my mind would clear all the other stuff. And she says, but I was at Universal Studios with my daughter and my husband and I was riding on the escalator and I was looking over the railing. And my daughter said to me, she goes, mom, look at what you're doing. And she says, Dr. Don, I never told you I had a fear of heights. We never even discussed it and it's gone. She says, I got up to the top of the escalator and I went over the railing and I watched people walk underneath the bridge. She says, I couldn't do that before. And I didn't even realize it had stopped until my daughter pointed it out. That's incredible. So once you have learned this, let's just call it a method almost, the your brain almost just has the tools it needs to sort of self-heal itself. In, under different contexts, it can apply to other parts that you're suffering issues with or other issues that you, they might all be contingent upon that one event or series of events. Wow, that's yes. really such a powerful thing. I can see why you're so passionate about this, Dr. Dodd. <laughs> well, you know, it happened to my wife. You know, we only worked on a few different events for my wife and she can talk about any event now from her childhood without crying and shaking. Mm-hmm. So we didn't work on all of them. And, you know, the more experience I got, I understood that all these different things, you know, um, just update because the mind and body are designed to heal. So what's interfering with it healing is it's gone into a fight or flight response constantly. It's not doing maintenance. When we calm it all down and start the maintenance, it just continues the maintenance. 
It's designed to do that. It's almost like we get stuck. We, we get stuck in this groove. Yep, it's a loop. And that loop is because you're survival based, right? Just like you said, the logical, reasonable part of your brain knows there's no danger, right? But the subconscious part of your mind is saying we're in danger about something that happened five years ago because it's seen memory in real time. So I worked with a U.S. Army sniper who had to shoot and kill a 12-year-old boy. Oh. And he was just sobbing and crying when I talked with him. And by the time I was finished, he could completely talk about everything that happened, including shooting the boy without shaking and crying. And he said to me, he goes, how the bleep did you just do this? And I said to him, I said, I didn't do anything. I said, for eight years, your mind's been trying to get you not to pull the trigger. It's seen you pull the trigger in real time. And it's been trying to get you to stop. There's where all the panic attacks, all the anxiety, all that stuff was coming from was the mind was calling for actions, but actions that couldn't be taken. Once we reset that, stops calling for the action. Dr. Don, you are a man with many an incredible story. I feel like I could just talk to you for hours about this stuff because it's so interesting. So uh, fast. Like I said, we got so many great stories about people who have healed. Oh, it's great. I, look, I, I just think that, that any anyone who's working in a field that is providing value like this to the individual or can provide it. And look, I'm sure there's circumstances, you know, maybe 5% of the time, some people are going to be more difficult to work with than others and more resistant to things than others. And that's just the, the way of things, but to have been able to create such positive change from something that you've learned and been able to apply and make a profession from it is a really beautiful thing. And I, I think I'll do whatever I can to sort of champion uh, your business because I think it's, it's really excellent. Oh, that's great. I appreciate it. Um, I'm just going to run into my post-fight interview questions, uh, Dr. Don, because I'm conscious I'm taking up quite a bit of your time. So I'll just reel off a couple of these. you got a great audience. you got a great, great way to, to talk and speak <laughs> and everything. It would be fun listening to your podcast. Uh, good. I appreciate it, Dr. Don. I've got plenty of effort shows for you to do. <laughs> awesome. That was great. Uh, so... Question number one, how are you challenging yourself currently? What's, what's challenging Dr. Don? I'm, I'm constantly trying to come up with new techniques, new things to do. So I'm always pushing the envelope, trying to find new ways, faster ways, better ways. So I'm still doing all my research. Like I said, that's how I found the article from the sniper, the German sniper. So all those kinds of things I keep adding in. So to me, I, I don't know everything. I don't know all the answers. I'm still learning and developing, but I know we're getting a lot of success at what we're at and we can still continue to improve. And I guess with uh, the beauty of, of something that's, so, that's education-based, a profession that's education-based is new techniques and new things will come along at, and you can be at the forefront of those and start to apply them and then add further value to the people who you work with. Is that sort of correct? Yes, exactly. So I'm always studying, always researching, always looking for new things. In fact, I, just last Friday, I was out meeting with a doctor who developed a technique that I found very interesting that I think we could apply to what we're doing. So there's some um, real possibilities of what he's doing. It made total sense to me when I heard what he was doing. And when I met with him, you know, he's doing more of a physical kind of thing, but it made total sense to me why it would work. Mm, okay, cool. Do you have a, a special Dr. Don daily routine that gets you into your sort of 
workflow state? What, what, what does your day usually entail? I usually, I'm up generally pretty early and I read, you know, so most of the time is online, right? But I'm researching, looking up articles, uh, doing things like that, uh, writing. I'm, I'm writing another book now. Actually, my wife and I are writing it together on basically for parents, oh, right? Cool. And what to do, you know, to help their children. Because I'm not saying we had all the answers. We didn't do everything right. That's for sure. But what I have learned you know, from our experience and then developing the program, you know, if I went back now, I would do it different. I definitely would do it different. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, our kids are all great. So I'm not saying there was any problems with them, but at the same time, I know we could have improved it even more. So that's sort of where I start the day. And I generally finish the day at my computer or, or doing reading as well. So I start and finish about the same way. How early is pretty early, Dr. Don? What time are we talking here? Well, probably, I don't, probably not crazy, crazy early. It's generally seven in the morning. You That's know? pretty good. That's wholesome. Yeah. I don't want to hear about these 4 a.m. starts. Thanks. I know. I know. I hear these people, they're up at four, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. It's dark. That, that, that I get up with me, the thanks. sun. It's the sun <laughs> generally wakes me up, and then that sort of gets my day started. I love it, Dr. Don. I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Uh, I would love to speak to you again sometime, Dr. Don. I'm going to get you on the show again. I'd love to chat further because I feel like we could go down all sorts of rabbit holes. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we really could. I could talk about this, as you know, all day. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much for being part of the show. I really greatly appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Doing Epic Stuff podcast. For the latest Doing Epic Stuff happenings, you can join our newsletter on mailchimp.doingepicstuff.com forward slash subscribe. And for direct inquiries, catch me on mike at doingepicstuff.com. We out.